Ken got up here to lead the opening prayer, he mentioned that he had a tough act to follow with the announcements, but imagine the pressure that's put upon you if in the prayer it's stated we were thankful for the eloquence of the preacher, and now I have to live up to that. But of course, lest I get too full of myself, the Lord has given me a helper suitable for me, who as soon as the amen is said, looks at me and says, I know you. Regardless of your opinion on the relative merits or lack thereof of the speaker this morning, we're glad that you're here, and I hope at least the content of our message is beneficial for us this morning. A question that most of us are likely to hear more than once between now and December 25th is, are you ready for Christmas? You know, it's only a little more than a week away at this point. And when we ask that question, I suppose that usually by that we mean, do you have all your decorations put up? Have you finished all of your Christmas shopping? For me, the answer to those are yes and no, respectively. Have you sent all your Christmas cards? Have you put down on your calendar all of the events that you're supposed to attend. You know, we've had uh, two or three things here just at the church planned around Christmas, and I know we all have busy calendars this time of year. We meet ourselves coming and going, and we call it the Christmas rush. The season can be extremely hectic. I think about a story I read about a little girl who had seen her mom and dad getting ready for Christmas, and it seemed that dad was always preoccupied with burdens and bundles, and, and mom was just uh, concerned with packages and with parties, and that she was always being ignored. She felt just thrust to the, to the side. In fact, it felt like to her what she heard more often than anything else at Christmas was, would you please get out of the way? And so one night, not long before Christmas, her parents overheard her saying her prayers before bedtime, oh Lord, please forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. We focus so much on our activities, but what we really ought to be focusing on is our attitudes. We don't actually know when Jesus Christ was born. The one thing we can say with some degree of specificity is he almost certainly wasn't born on December the 25th. We know that to celebrate his birth is not something that was practiced by the earliest Christians. We have no record of it in scripture. It's a later innovation. We know that a lot of the traditions associated with it are rooted in pagan practices, although I should mention so are our days of the week. It doesn't necessarily make it wrong. Nevertheless, I'm not advocating we celebrate Christmas as a holy day. But what I will say is that our thoughts cannot help but turn at this time of the year, along with the rest of the world, to the birth of Jesus. And that's a worthy subject regardless of what time of year we want to consider. What does the birth of Christ mean? It says that God became a human being. That God loved us to the extent that he came and he lived among us. 
walked with him. He talked with him. What ought to be our attitude in light of that great truth? In light of that, with that thought in mind, let's read our text again from Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is an interesting character. We know very little, almost nothing, about his life, and he doesn't stand there in the spotlight from, for very long. But I suggest that Joseph can teach us a great deal about what our attitude should be in light of Christ's coming. The first thing that Joseph teaches us is to be ready to submit to God's will, to accept it, whatever it may be. Joseph was open to the will of God, and he trusted God. We need to try to put ourselves in his shoes in a way that we don't normally do, I think, with this familiar story. We need to understand, first of all, that a Jewish marriage at this point consisted essentially of three stages. The first stage was what we would probably call an engagement. This was contracted by the parents usually without any input at all from the young people. And it was sealed by the paying of a bride price to the father. The second stage was called betrothal. During this time, the young couple actually agreed to be married, and they would sign a, a legal document that would bind them as husband and wife. So at this point, they were legally considered to be married, but they didn't live together yet. This was husband and wife to the extent that this agreement, this relationship couldn't be broken unless there was some failure to live up to the contractual obligation, usually some financial arrangement there. But otherwise, the only way you could get out of this was through a divorce, just as if you were husband and wife. Betrothal usually lasted about a year, though there was no hard and fast time limit. It could vary. Uh, there was a limit put on it. Uh, because you couldn't carry this on indefinitely. But during this time, the groom would be preparing the home they were to live in. It was a time to deepen your relationship, to get to know one another better, to plan and to dream together. This is the stage that Mary and Joseph were at. They were betrothed. They were legally husband and wife. They just weren't living together yet. 
And at the end of this time, the bride would be brought to the groom's house. There'd be a great big procession, and there'd be celebration and feasting, and at the end, she'd be left there, and we might consider that to be the wedding proper. So Joseph knew that he would marry Mary. He probably thought he had his life pretty well planned out. He was going to marry her. They'd settle down in Nazareth. He'd continue in his carpentry business, and they would all live happily ever after. But all this suddenly ended in shock and disappointment for Joseph. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Scripture doesn't tell us how Joseph found out. Maybe somebody told him. Maybe Mary did. I want you to imagine how that went down. Joseph, I have the most wonderful news. I'm going to have a baby. And it's not just any baby. It's, it's the Messiah, the one that our people have been looking for and hoping for and praying for for all of these years. An angel came and told me about it. And I said, how, how is that possible? I've never been with a man. And he said, the child within you is conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle, Joseph. Isn't it wonderful? Aren't you happy? Joseph wasn't happy. Who could believe an incredible story like that? What kind of idiot did she think he was? She must have hit him like a bombshell. He thought that Mary loved him the same way that he loved her. He thought she was completely committed to him the way that he was to her. And yet, seemingly, she'd been unfaithful. That was the only logical explanation, right? He knew that the child was his. So the only logical conclusion was that she'd been unfaithful to him. She'd broken that bond that existed between them. And because they're betrothed, legally considered to be husband and wife, under the law of Moses, Joseph could have had her stoned to death. But we get a great insight into the character of the man. It says that her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph could have publicly cleared his name, restored his reputation. That would have been perfectly understandable in a culture that was consumed with honor and with shame. But he loved her. And so he chose to extend mercy to her, intending to divorce her quietly. And while he was thinking about all of these things, an angel came to him. And in effect, the angel said to him, Joseph, trust God. He's in this. You may not understand everything that's going on right now, but trust God, and it's going to be all right. Now, Joseph was evidently a man of faith, but sometimes it's hard to live by faith, isn't it? It might be easy to live by faith that God always did what we thought he should do. But inevitably, God doesn't do what we think he should do. But then living by faith 
can be very hard. But Joseph trusted God. Even though he must have had a list of questions a mile long, he would have liked to have had explained to him. He trusted God. He believed that God's will was best. We find ourselves in much the same position as Joseph, in a sense. Christmas comes as a time of peace, but there's so much conflict in the world. Christmas comes as a time of joy, but there's so much sadness and heartbreak around it. Christmas comes as a time of love, but there's so much hatred in this world. And so we want to cry out like Joseph must have wanted to cry out, God, how can this be? And just like with Joseph, that same shrill, small voice comes back to us in response. Question. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We may not ever understand what God is doing in this world, this side of heaven. Think about what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Paul doesn't say that only good things will happen to God's people, but he says that God will work them out for good. And that's the ultimate good. We might not even see the good in our lives, but according to his purpose. God says, trust me, it'll all work out. Jesus was able to come into this world because Joseph trusted God and he submitted to his will. And we need to trust God like that too. The second thing that Joseph teaches us is that we need to care about other people. Joseph's assignment in some ways was a pretty simple one. If, and if you ever see those Christmas plays, those pageants, you get an inkling of this. On the one hand, we have Mary here looking beautiful. We have the shepherds who are excited on one side. We have the wise men with their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we have the baby Jesus there in the manger looking pure and clean. And there almost forgotten on the edge of the stage stands Joseph. His task is to take care of Mary and the baby Jesus. Joseph had the important role of taking care of the needs of others. And I called that a, a simple task, and in the sense of it being straightforward, it is. But that's one of those things that's easier said than done. It may be straightforward, but there are a lot of people who don't want to do that. Joseph had to decide. He had to choose to make a commitment to a child that wasn't his. He had to choose to enter into a marriage that would be held up to public ridicule and gossip. And incidentally, we know that continued throughout Jesus' life. On one occasion, his opponents said, we know who our father is. Implication, you don't know who yours is. That never went away. But Joseph said he'd do it. 
ago, he took Mary to be his wife. All of us fail at times to look after the needs of others the way that we know that we really should. But Joseph accepted that responsibility that God asked him to take. It was Joseph who put his wife on a donkey to make that long journey down to Bethlehem. It was Joseph who found a place for them to stay when there was no room in the inn. It was Joseph who helped Mary through that delivery when no one else was around. It was Joseph who was the first one to hold the Son of God there in his arms. Joseph fulfilled a role that only he could fulfill because he took care of the needs of his family. The Christmas season probably causes us to be more sensitive to the needs of others. We've touched on that in a couple of lessons here recently. We've had activities that are geared towards that. But sometimes we look around us and we're almost filled with despair. What can I do? We don't know where to start. We don't feel like we're making any sort of difference in this world. But still we try. And we must try. And what I'd remind you in terms of what difference can I make, Christ was born in large part because Joseph cared about Mary and he cared about Jesus. There's a difference that just one person can make. We need to learn to care about others too. Third and finally, we learn from Joseph the spirit of giving. Joseph gave whatever he had to give. He didn't know that after Jesus was born that he'd have to take Mary and the baby down into Egypt for a time. He didn't know how long he was going to be separated from his home and from his extended family. He didn't know about all the demands that were going to be made on his time and on his pocketbook. And in fact, I wonder sometimes if Joseph even felt adequate to the task before him once he started to realize who Jesus really was and what he was all about. I think about the one story from Jesus' youth that's been recorded for us in the second chapter of Luke's gospel when he was only 12 years old. The family had been down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and were on their way back, but they became separated from Jesus. He was left behind. And so they went frantically searching for him, worried out of their minds like any parents would be today if they'd found him. And then they discovered him there in the temple, surrounded by scribes and Pharisees, all listening to what he has to say, nodding their bearded heads solemnly, astonished at this boy and his teaching. And the question, the questions you'd expect a parent to ask, where have you been? In response, you must be about my father's business. Joseph did the very best that he could to help make sure that Jesus was about his father's business. But Joseph was no scholar. He was no teacher of the law. He was a craftsman. He was a carpenter. But if we can speculate, I think we see glimpses on occasion of the influence Joseph had on Jesus. The rabbis said that any father who didn't 
teach his son an occupation, a trade for teaching him to steal. Jesus is no exception. He was a carpenter, son of a carpenter. He learned his father's business. And so we find him on one occasion talking about a fellow who had sawdust in his eyes. We find him later in the Sermon on the Mount talking about two men, two carpenters who built houses, one on rock, one on sand. Toward the end of his life, we find him talking about a fellow who wanted to build a tower, but he first went out and made sure that he had all of the materials ready. He's trying to teach there the importance of finishing what you start. I have to think in all those and others we could probably mention, we see the influence of Joseph, at least in, in some measure. Whatever God asked of him, Joseph freely gave it. And that, in a nutshell, is what the incarnation, God in the flesh, is really all about. Jesus' birth was God giving himself. And that happened in a very real sense because Joseph was willing to give himself. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts. But the greatest gift we can give is the gift of love. And that's what God says to us in Christ, in his incarnation. You can have my life. I give myself. Remember our text? His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's still the greatest gift of all. Are you ready for Christmas? I don't know if you'll get all your shopping done in time. I don't know if you have your tree up. If you don't, you probably don't. I don't know if you'll be able to hit all of the places you have planned to go. But I hope you're ready in attitude. And I hope most of all that this is an attitude that shapes us not only for a couple of weeks or a month at the end of the year, but that we carry it throughout each and every day of our lives. Jesus Christ confronts us with life-changing questions just like he did with Joseph. He says that he gave himself, all of it, for us. Like a song that we sing at times. I gave, I gave my life for thee. Yes. What hast thou given for me? What have you given in response to what God has given in Christ? If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to him, I urge you, don't delay. Make the decision to do it today. Put your faith, that is your trust, in him. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried in the waters of baptism. Have your sins washed away. Begin to live that new life in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you already are a Christian, but you haven't lived your life in a way that's consistent with what God has done for you. God with us in the flesh. Maybe you need to make some changes to give back to God what he wants. Whatever your need may be this morning, we can help you in any way. It's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.